0: Am I suffering? Is all of this real? Or am I making some of this stuff up to make it hard on myself so I create a winning formula so if I do fail, it's okay? Right. Or is this really happening to me? And that's the challenging thing too as an artist. Like you never really- your,
1: Your feelings are real. And like in that moment, it feels so real. It feels like the weight of the world is crashing around you. And that's also, part of the reason like that i'm so into the mental health work is that i was self sabotaging myself as an actor as a comedian as a person i mean i'm trying to get out of it at least i'm aware
0: (laughs) but you're still doing it
1: i mean i'd be lying if i said i'm not but i am working on it and we're we, we see a light at the end of the tunnel does that make sense Welcome to Crying Behind Sunglasses, a mental health podcast for cool people. Join me, your fearless host, Kayla Dahl, as I interview comedians, entertainers, experts, and people from all walks of life about their issues and find a way to laugh about them. Because if you can laugh about your problems, then they no longer have power over you. I'm here to share more about my own self-help journey too, so that you can feel less alone. Disclaimer, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for medical advice or therapy. Shocking, I know, but I'm not a doctor. This show is more like the hot cup of tea after therapy. Let's do this. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses. I'm your host, Kayla Dahl, and uh, this is your cozy corner of the internet. And I'm so excited to have you here. Today's guest is someone that I've been wanting to get on the show for a very long time. He is a TV and film producer, talent manager. He has wrapped and developed many amazing people. Ken Jeong, Andy Dick, Mark Marin, Sarah Silverman, Dane Cook. There are many other names that you could find if you wanted to on Wikipedia, but we would be here all day, so I'll stop. Uh, executive producer of Last Comic Standing, And also, oh, we've got another card for him. (laughs) He has a career coaching program called Blueprint for Success, and he's the host of one of my favorite podcasts, Industry Standard. Please welcome Barry Katz.
0: All right. I made the cut.
1: Of course. I can't
0: believe it. It's me and the goats. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Does your audience know where you do this podcast from? Do they understand... The re- listen, it's it's incredible. Yes. Do you understand that <laughs> on Google Maps, you would have to type in E I Y O to find this place? It's unbelievable. It's like there are goats. There are seventy thousand horses. There's dirt. I know. I don't smell any manure though. That's, I used to be
1: a city girl. Now I've gone to the country.
0: It's fantastic here. It's it's like I can't believe it. It's just <laughs> you drive up and it's like there's gates and it's like you hear the Clint Eastwood music from whatever Western it was.
1: It's pretty nice. And then
0: you walk in (laughs) and you walk... Around the porch, and you're like, okay. And Joe comes and gets you, and you walk down, and he's taking me down through the yard. I'm like, I don't know where the hell By I'm By the going. way,
1: uh, for the listeners who haven't been keeping up, Joe is uh, my partner who has been so graciously setting up the filming and helping with this podcast. Yeah,
0: fantastic. So I'm, I'm walking down, <laughs> I'm in the yard, there's goats. Oh, you're being led <laughs> down this area where you have no idea where you're going, and all you see is the shed from like Deliverance, <laughs> you know, so I, I don't know if pretty soon I'm gonna be doing a podcast or I'm gonna be yelling, squeal like a pig, or whatever it is that <laughs> happened in that movie that I don't want to know with Ned Beatty. And so, but I'm here and you walk in this, 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 it's a barn, uh, this barn that's all made up as a studio, and it's incredible. It's, 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 it's and then you're here and, uh-huh. and then, uh, I'm ready to go. So, uh, I have no sunglasses though.
1: I know. Well, that's okay because we're going behind the sunglasses. And so we want to see your face. We want to see the the eyes, you know.
0: All right. Well, that's (laughs) only you wants to see that. And (laughs) and my mother probably who is no longer with us. But anyway, keep going. Okay.
1: Well, RIP. I mean, I feel like you just gave everyone context of your entire day leading up to this, driving from Malibu over here. You're in Malibu, right? Yes. Just like a quick check-in. How are you feeling today in this moment? Are you still worried that there's going to be some sort of deliverance scenario?
0: No, I'm 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 a really uh, calm person. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm calm, but it's weird. Like in in my mind, I always tell myself these weird anti affirmations that I would not want anybody to do. It's just for me. So when I
1: what do you mean so, by anti-information? It's like some so negative like when thing?
0: I, when I wake up, I just say to myself, hey, listen, you're shit. You're not going anywhere unless you get going and do some work today, because what happens today affects what happens to you in your personal life and your professional life. And so if you just wallow through the day then or, or not do the appropriate work or don't work smart or hard, then you might not be able to live in Malibu anymore. You might not be able to look at Zuma Beach anymore. Mm. You might be living, as Chris Farley once said... Down in a van by the river. That's right. And <laughs> I, I, I would live in a van down by the river. You know, what's weird is you could take me here and there could be a palatial mansion that you say, hey, that's yours. Mm-hmm. And you can live there for as long as you want until you die. Or you can live in a teepee on the ocean, mm. I would live on the ocean. I don't care. I've always wanted to live looking at the, at water. the ocean. It makes me feel, you know, how you talk about in your show and you talk about off the show, how, let's face it, everybody wants to feel good. And I, I you know, what's weird is, is people always use the term feel good.
1: It's a relative term and it's I, I, different for everyone.
0: I know, right? I know it's relative, but I guess what I'm about to say is that somebody says, you know, or you ask somebody, how do you like the podcast? And they say it's good. In your mind, you're like, Go oh, fuck yourself. It's not good. It's extraordinary. Thank you. Okay? So but everybody always says, Do you feel feel good? They don't say, Do you feel great? Do you feel excellent do you feel those are the yaks by the way in the back. oh these yeah. are actually peacocks Peacocks. I that. <laughs> I was
1: yes we're born with the genetics that we have but the environment that we're going to be in it's going to affect us
0: yes and so everybody we run into we don't know what they're going through i always tell uh people who are Doing network pitches or really important meetings, I said one of the biggest keys to those meetings is being a chameleon and navigating. Because when you go in, yeah, it's like you're you're a, you have to be a psychic. You don't know if uh, if Sam just got married and he's the happiest guy in the world, or Susie's father just passed away yesterday, or if you, you don't know, know where people are coming from or you what they're going through. But you have to go in that room and galvanize people and, and, and cause, cause life is about the sale. Yes. And when you're talking about this podcast, well so this is a podcast that is very rare in the sense that there's nothing about what you talk about that has to do with the sale. And life is about the sale. Well, that's on purpose. professionally.
1: That's on purpose.
0: Well, I didn't know that, but I just, I noticed that about this. And I thought to myself, as I noticed it, I thought like, how many things don't have a sale? Think about this for a second. So, so like,
1: what do you mean by, okay. I'll
0: give you an example. Yes. Okay. Let's say uh, your audience member, the, the, one of them is going on a date tonight, their yes. first date okay well what are they doing before the first date they're they're, getting, they're ready, getting ready they're getting and and when they sit down across from that person what are they trying to accomplish
1: well i think it's it's twofold it's the same as a job interview where i believe that you are trying to show the best version of yourself but also you should be interviewing that person to see if they are a good fit for that's you that's
0: true but you're selling yourself
1: sure yeah you okay. are selling yourself all
0: right so I thought to myself, all the things in the world where you don't sell yourself, and and granted, the podcast here is about you know doing an extraordinary job so people listen and 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 get the value out of it. So you are the content is selling things mm-hmm. to the audience to say, hey, this is going to comfort you, mm. but the, the 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 subject matter isn't about the sale. so i thought to myself as i'm over i'm coming over i'm thinking thinking to myself what other things in life don't have a sale i I, I thought of only one other thing has nothing to do with this podcast what is it an uber driver all he does is he gets in the car and a bot sells for him and he just picks up people and he makes money and he doesn't have to do any he doesn't have to sell himself he doesn't have to do anything as a matter of fact there's a button that says hey don't talk to me you know, you can right. still. Eat. So, in your content, you know, it's about it's about getting yourself whole, so you can be the best representation, not only to yourself but the people around you, and add value to your life professionally and personally. That's that's what, in my mind, my definition of mental health is. You Absolutely. Know? But, I will say this, like. Every person that I've worked with or I've been around that struggled has made me a better person uh, navigating through what they go through. Yeah. Because it's, it's like it helps me figure out how I can be of service in sometimes what often feels like a hopeless situation.
1: Yes, yes. I was actually going to ask you. To go back to the fact that you have developed so many different comics over the years, I mean, I was I already knew about you because of your podcast and having met you in person, but I didn't realize how many legends came through the Boston Comedy Club. How did Barry Cats come to be? Yeah, so before Barry Katz? I,
0: before I came to be, my mom met a guy. He was nineteen. she was thirteen. Whoa. He was going into the military and she was obsessed with this guy, she told me. This is 1950 something, 52, 50, whatever. Mm-hmm. He invites her to the Admiral's Ball in Boston. Her parents gave their car to him to take her to the Admiral's Ball. She 13, 13 years old? 13 years old. Oh my God. She ended up marrying that guy. She had, they had my sister and he was like thirty years old. He came home one day. He lied down on the couch. My her mom was there, and her mom came into the kitchen and said, uh, "Barbara, um, uh, your husband's gone." And she's like, "Where did he go?" She's like, "Barbara, he's gone." What are you talking about? He's dead. He's blue. He's on the couch. He died at thirty. So then, back then, my mother has a child, a two-year-old child, whatever. But you know, you know, back then you. It was structured where you want to find a man, a provider to to be with your family, to help you and and to love and to start a family. Yeah. So she meets my father. Three weeks after they met, uh, he gives her a ring and asks her to marry him.
1: And how old was she at this point?
0: She's probably like 26. Uh So then she marries my father, has me, and he dies at 37. First husband dies at, 30, dies at thirty. So my mother, <sighs> so my mother's life is embedded in tragedy. And then a month later, her father passes away. So she's lost three men in six years—the most important men in her life. But I'm not even aware of anything. I'm an infant. You're a baby. Yeah. Okay. There's obviously this intangible as a child where you're. It's like there's an automobile accident that happened, and you're subjected to it, but you don't—you weren't really conscious of it. But you're living within the world and the life of that person crying. So my mother would cry in the kitchen. I'd wake up at night and I'd grab her by the leg, and I'd say, "Everything's going to be okay, mom." As an infant, and I think that's when I became the "Everything's going to be okay" guy when it mm, comes to management. comforting people. Yeah, and so, um, so. Cut to me, uh, I um, am a young guy, 25. Mm-hmm. I uh, meet a girl in Boston, a mm-hmm. uh, wonderful girl, and I get married at 26. She's 23, and she dies. No. Eight months later.
1: Very. and this so, is so
0: sad. And I was living this life that was going somewhere, and then it just... Uh, and so now I'm... I'm almost living history, the history of my mom. Yeah. So now uh, I wanna meet another person, but I'm thinking to myself, well, if one died and hers died- and What then if they die? Her, as in second, we're gonna die. So I met my um, the mother of my children. I'll never forget. I introduced her to my mom at my apartment in New York. I had moved to New York after my wife died in Boston because There's that thing that happens when tragedy strikes, there's the positive negative. Mm. And the positive negative is the people that come up to you and they hug you and they say, oh, is there anything I can do? And everywhere you go.
1: Yeah, the community comes together for you.
0: They come together for you, which creates a feeling of like you're like, you can't even escape these people and this memory. Yeah. So I just, one day I just got in my car and I drove to New York and I started a new life. I got an apartment, I called and I a realtor, I got an apartment right then and there. And I was in New York and I found a comedy club in Greenwich Village and I opened it up and I called it the Boston Comedy Club because I was from Boston.
1: Okay, he's a Boston boy.
0: Dumb move, but I did it anyway. I mean, and, I don't
1: think it was very dumb, it was successful.
0: Yeah, very (laughs) very successful. So then I bring my mom to meet this woman that I I met. Her name is Susanna Brisk. Uh, Ironically, she's a sexual intuitive now, which I wish I had when I was with her. But anyway, (laughs) no, no, I'm I'm joking, I'm joking. I love Uh, that. (laughs) uh, So, uh, and she's uh, one of my uh, best friends and uh, and I still, happy ex-wife, happy life. Anyway, so she was on the couch, she met my mother and my mother reached over and held her hand mm. the first time, like within five minutes of meeting her and just ca- held her hand and kept that's, holding her hand. I remember that's so Susanna sweet. looking up at me and like, and then I went to the bathroom and this is what my mother said to me that I thought your audience would be interested in hearing. Maybe not.
1: I think they want to hear everything you have to say, Barry.
0: So she waited until she closed the door of the bathroom and mm-hmm. she said, don't do this. I said, don't do what? She said, don't do this to this girl. I said, don't do what? Barry, I know what you're doing. You got to commit to this woman or you got to let her go. Mm. Uh, You can't worry about whether she's going to die or not. Mm. You got to live. She said, life is for the living. And yes, I lost two husbands. You lost one wife. But if you live your life like you're going to lose everything, then you definitely are going to lose everything.
1: Well, there's a quote.
0: So. um Wow. So what's really fascinating about uh, what you deal with and what the people you listen to the show deal with, fate is amazing. Mm-hmm. And everybody who's listening, who's going through it the most difficult times, whether you... Yeah, depression, you anxiety, have depression, different Anxiety, bumps. even if you try to kill yourself or hurt yourself or cut, whatever it is, it's amazing how fate works the opposite way too. Because now I look into the eyes of my two children, seventeen mm-hmm. and eighteen-year-old boys, mm-hmm. and I would not be able to look into their eyes if somebody hadn't left this earth plane. Mm. Somebody had to die for me to have the life that I have. I mean, that's like insane, but it's it's that's the way the world works. The world has a plan. And sometimes the people who suffer from depression and mental illness, I know this sounds crazy, but it's a gift
1: It is. No, it's not crazy. I talk about it all the time because we have to work that much harder to get to a baseline of quote unquote good, right? Just to be able to function. And there are so many deep, dark parts of myself that I have had to face in order to move forward in life. And I wouldn't have had to do any of that deep work if I had a perfect life, you know? And so I can't relate to people as much who have had the perfect upbringing. Of course, nobody's had a perfect childhood, but you know what I'm saying? People who haven't had as much trauma, it's hard to relate because I feel like uh, they haven't been road tested.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like that expression that you probably heard in your life. Anybody who told you that money makes you happy never had any to begin with.
1: Oh, I mean, so, I yeah. So,
0: so somebody who's happy, who's not suffered, who's not gone through tragedy, what the fuck do they know about happiness? All they know is what they've always had and always seen. But the people who've really struggled are the ones that really know when they get to the other side what, what happiness is. And and the other thing I wanted to say is that the way the world is structured in, in school, nobody growing up, nobody tells you, hey, it's kindergarten, okay, let's read our books here. Uh, Bobby has had a bad day, and the next day he's having a good day. And the next day he's having a good day, and the next day he's having a good day. Oh, he's having a bad day this day. Mm -hmm. And this is how Bobby copes with having a bad day. And then this is how Bobby copes with having a good day. He tells himself, hey, I'm glad I have a good day, but... There's going to be another bad day and I'm going to ride through it. I'm going to make it happen. But nobody ever tells anybody that.
1: Well, they do now, though. (laughs) There are a lot of kids that are learning about mindfulness and about all different kinds of neurodivergence or disabilities or how to be in touch with their emotions. They are starting to teach this to kids in schools. Not every school, obviously, because this country's education system is a little bit fucked. But I have heard anecdotally from my friends who have children that this is, it's becoming more commonplace to not only have it in the schools, but also when they're parenting, that they are telling the kid that they want them to check in with their feelings and their feelings aren't wrong. And that's not something I heard growing up. I heard, oh, you're crying? No, no, you need to go do that somewhere else. Don't Don't let us see that, you know? And as you could imagine, that's not exactly the best thing to hear when you're a kid who's very sensitive and very emotional, then you have to figure out something to do. So I would spend a lot of time uh, just alone in my room, playing guitar, writing poetry, reading plays, just doing all this creative stuff, because it was the only thing I could think of to work out whatever my feelings were that were not okay to express. Right? So, yeah, I mean... One of the questions I was going to ask you around this whole thing of you being a comforter is I assume you must give a lot of pep talks to your clients and to now the people who are your part of your blueprint success community. What is the art of a pep talk and how how can someone get good at that and what makes you good at it?
0: That's a great question. Um, (laughs) I think that um, if it's not organic then it's the shittiest pep talk in the world. You know, it has to come from a natural conversational place, in my opinion. Now, I've represented six clients on Saturday Night Live, for instance, and I've had a one person host twice. And... Who was that? Dane Cook.
1: Of course. Yeah.
0: And so when you get the call from Lauren Michaels that somebody got Saturday Night Live and your talent and their talent came together and it worked. And you're one of 150 people in 50 years that you got somebody on, you, you, you kind of say to yourself, okay, I can do this. Yeah. But what you also say to yourself when you sit back and you close the door and you turn the light off, you say, well, I mean, I, I really only helped one person. Well, yeah, I helped Lorne. I helped NBC. I'm sure millions of people who watch will laugh and be inspired and be happy. But in the artist, manager, or artist, whatever you call it, that uh,
1: relationship, that
0: relationship, you're only helping one person, and I, and I felt really um, unsatisfied. Sure. So I wanted to figure out what I could do in my spare time to make a difference for as many artists as I could and the podcast was doing it and is still doing it but they don't get to talk to me they don't get to spend time with me so I figured Mm -hmm. out putting all this content I recorded over 100 hours of content and made other ones and and then every Monday I do this zoom call yeah and and I allow people to come in and and that's why so in answer to your question that the the pep talk is like a, there's no, there's no, notes like, okay, today we're going to talk about punchlines. Tomorrow we're going to talk about uh story. No, I don't want to do that. It's like, I, I go right in and I, I attack in a nice way. Like I was talking, I was talking to somebody. I mean, you did it to me. I did.
1: Yeah. No, it was great. You put me on the spot. I went on one of his calls. I remember that feeling of... Because I thought, okay, I'm going to go sit in on this call so that I know what this program is like before I interview you and just get a little feeling of it, right? That was
0: with Neil McDonough, right? Yes. He was a guest. uh,
1: Yes. Neil McDonough was on and he's great. And that was really cool to see him just in a more private For those of you who don't
0: know, he's an actor who's been in a million things from minority to report to... Yellowstone. Desperate Housewives. Desperate housewives. So, <laughs> so yeah, you so you get on and, and you say, I say, okay, you're up. And you say, I don't have a question. Well, though. I
1: didn't know how the call worked. So I'm, I'm just sitting I'm, there. I'm
0: like, I'm like you're a podcaster. What do you mean you don't have a question?
1: <laughs> and I got like, I don't think I've been dragged that hard <laughs> in my life, but I loved it because I was like,
0: fuck, he's well, right. Well, I had a smile on my face. Oh,
1: I know, no. <laughs> What is, that's what I said, like, you're asking people to rise to the occasion. Yeah. And that is a beautiful thing. Yeah.
0: Don't fucking strike out with a bat on your shoulder. Yeah. It's like, so, so there was a woman uh, that I had a consulting session with, and she was telling me a story of how she did this gig, and she killed on the gig. Mm-hmm. And after the gig, the owner came up to her and said, uh, listen, uh, you familiar with what a light is? And she says, yes, I I, 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 uh, I, am. I'm a professional. I said, stop. You said to him you're a professional. Yes, I did. Well, uh, clearly you don't want to work there again. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, he's the owner of the venue. It's like the customer is always right. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to kiss that guy's ass. Well, then you don't want to work. I said... You kiss the person's ass until you're a headliner and you're selling out every seat. And he says, "Hey, I'd like the book you hear." And then you say, "Go fuck yourself." <laughs> I'm working at the club next door, <laughs> but you use him just like he's using you.
1: Because it's a business.
0: It's a business, and I went and told her. I said, "Listen, you. This is written on walls of caves from years ago. Mm-hmm. It's show business." Yep. You did a great show. You did shitty business. I don't even call it a pep talk, but every talk I have starts in my mind with two fundamental things. And I don't even always verbalize this, but Mm -hmm. it's in my head. Mm -hmm. Number one, you're the boss, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and there's a clone of you on the other side of the table. How do you want to be treated? And how, like, in other words, let's say you're looking for somebody to hire Kayla. Are Someone you, to hire me. Yeah. No, you know, let's say you're looking to hire some, let's say you're kicking Joe to the curb and you're, and you're looking to hire somebody to do this whole thing. Here. Okay. And there's a hundred people who come in the interview. Okay. What I always tell people, or else I tell myself before the talk, is like, okay, let's say there's a hundred. Use, waiting to interview you an interview with you, and only one of them gets the job. What are you going to do to make you hire you?
1: I see. I see what you're saying. So that it's separating two different parts of yourself, which is a really beautiful thing. I've heard therapists do. I've never heard this from a manager or a career coach, and I've had plenty.
0: Yeah, so this everything, is. I,
1: about, I just want like.
0: <laughs> well, I, think, I don't want your head to explode. But no, think, it's good, but, it's good. But everybody listening, think of anything, just you could think of any single yeah. thing. Even when you're, let's say you, uh, somebody listening is, let's say you you're, you lost your job and you're like, oh, what am I gonna do? Okay, here's this ad and the job. And it's like the Hunger Games. You're going, you finally get the interview for the job. Yes. And But you don't know who's out there taking the other interviews. You don't know yeah. who what they're saying. You don't know what they prepared. You don't know anything about what they're doing. All you know is what you have. Yeah. But you have to beat all those motherfuckers. But you're
1: going to be the best version of yourself.
0: So how Because would, you're going to be
1: the best version yeah, of yourself that yeah. you would hire.
0: Yes. Yeah, so how would you? Who would you hire?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And who would you hire to beat all those people? That's the first thing. And then on the other side, this is a really tough thing to. To take as a, as any with anybody, whether it's an artist or anybody in any profession. This yeah, is, this is the toughest.
1: But it's a tough, like it's a a tough it's reality a tough, to face. Yes. Okay. So this
0: is the I'm second ready. thing. Ready so, for a wake up call. So many times in my life, you'll all I'll always hear like, "Oh well, you know I." I don't know what's going on. I just, these other people are doing it. Like I, I try so hard and I'm just uh, not getting a fair shake and I don't even understand what's happening here. And why doesn't this club hire me or why don't I book this TV? I'm better than these people, whatever. And I always say to them, let's just take comedy cause that's my lane. Okay, I had sure. this conversation with somebody the other night who shall remain nameless. Yes. I said, okay. I said, let's take your career,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. okay, and your exact career, your exact jokes, your exact writing, every single thing, just of what you've created. And at your stage of the game, I give it to Nikki Glaser, Mark Norman, Burt Kreischer.
1: Like you hand this over to someone else.
0: I hand it to somebody who's at your level, exactly your level, and they only can use your material and everything you've written. (laughs) And I give it to 10 comedians that are successful now, but they're not, we're we're talking about before they were successful. Okay. Okay. At your level. So nobody knows Mark Norman, Nikki Glazer, Whitney Cummings, Bert Kreischer, you know, whoever it is, Tracy Morgan. Nobody knows all these people. And they're just given the exact act that you have at your level. Do you think all ten of those people are gonna be wallowing? in no man's land like you are right now or do you think it's possible that some of them with your material and act are going to be superstars Mm -hmm. and he says I think it's possible that they're going to be superstars I said right so are you not talented yeah I am talented I've got great so why are they making it and you're not making it with your exact material? Mm. So what you're saying is it's my mind. I'm just uh, I'm sabotaging myself. Yes, you are sabotaging yourself. So anybody listening, I don't. It doesn't matter if you're like the the pastry chef that's looking for a job. This applies to everything. Everything.
1: Yes, absolutely. Everything,
0: because you, what happens is you're is in your own way. Yes, and, and, and it's, it, but it's more evident when you take that thing and you give the, you make it an even playing field with everybody else. Again, I know I said it once, but I'll say it in a different way. Let's take another show Squid Game. So everybody in Squid Game is the same, it's an even playing field. Yep. But only one person is supposed to win, and the rest die. Mm. Why?
1: I don't know. Was the,
0: the the people who were winning were they these incredible physical specimens? Some were, but some not were. the older guy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's just how you approach things smartly and putting the right time in it. I, sometimes I, I in my uh, talks with people, I'll say, hey, listen, uh, are you reaching out to people? Are you being persistent? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I tell you what. I tell you, why don't you start on uh, May 1st and I want you to BCC me on I mean every them. single thing you're doing and then the month will go by, I won't get anything. I say, what uh, what happened? Oh, I've been reaching out to everybody. Oh, yeah, but oh, you oh, didn't oh, get really, a BCC. Oh, really? <laughs> if, how come I wasn't BCC'd? Oh, I just forgot, whatever. So everybody has a fucking story. And so one of the things about what your podcast is about, and which is really challenging for people who suffer, because sometimes you say to yourself, am I suffering? Or am I, is all of this real? Or am I making some of this stuff up to make it hard on myself so I create a winning formula so if I do fail, it's okay. Right. Or is this really happening to me? And that's the challenging thing too as an artist. Like you never yeah, really- your,
1: your feelings are real. And, and like in that moment, it feels so real. It feels like the weight of the world is crashing around you. And that's also part of the reason like that I'm so into the mental health work is that it, I was self-sabotaging t- myself as an actor, as a comedian, as a person. I mean, I'm trying to get out of it. At least I'm aware.
0: (laughs) But you're still doing it.
1: I mean, I'd be lying if I said I'm not, but I am working on it and we're, we we see a light at the end of the tunnel. Does that make sense?
0: Sometimes. (laughs) I have this weird thing and I know you have thousands of questions. I want to say this is gonna probably gonna make me Put me in a in an an awful light. Uh, well, I mean, well, that, you
1: say whatever you want to say well, about I'm gonna, yourself, Barry. Well, I'm share it. Okay.
0: <laughs> I feel like I've been I'm uniquely qualified to mm. speak uh, with you.
1: Please, I feel like I'm in therapy right now. You're like, you see right through me. You're like, you're still doing that shit, aren't you? I'm like, fuck, I am. <laughs> well,
0: well, well, yeah, but, but, that's, but that's okay. But that's, so I've been with so many people who are suffering mm-hmm. and so many people who self-sabotaged, and so many people who cut, hit themselves with their fists in their head, you know, in front of me, cried every third day, couldn't get out of bed, canceled gigs because they just felt throaty.
1: Um, (laughs) I'm feeling a little throaty today. I don't think I'm going to show up to the show, Barry. I'm so sorry.
0: Where I am in my personal life, I feel really selfish at this point in my life because if I am in any kind of relationship and if anybody like rolls their eyes or sarcastic or or raises their voice, I'm just, I'm gone. I've done that. There's an old story. That doesn't
1: make you sound bad. That makes you sound like you have good boundaries. I'm the same. I have no, this but is I my mean, big it, tolerance it, but for it, bullshit, but nothing.
0: It's, but it's normal for people to be <laughs> dramatic or whatever, but I just have been through it so much. You're it's, over it. Uh, there was an old show long ago, the only show on television, The Ed Sullivan Show. Yeah. And uh, Jim Morrison finally got a meeting to do the show with the doors and they said uh we finally want you in the show we think you're a dangerous act we want you to play light my fire yeah i'm not but we want you to change the line the baby couldn't get much higher because it's a drug reference. He says, no problem. Mm-hmm. He does the show, it's a live show. There's like 80 million, it's like the Super Bowl, the show. You sure. do, you do everyone's the sh- watching. You them. do the show, this is, you know, the Beatles did the show, they did Shea Stadium. You I, know?
1: I, I, yeah, believe it or not, I do know about the Ed Sullivan yeah. Show and I do, I'm a big fan of The Doors, so I yeah. I know a little bit
0: about what you're so talking here's about. So <laughs> here's where I'm going. Yeah. So Jim does the show, Kills. Doesn't change the line. Oh. He's walking out of the Ed Sullivan Theater, which was the David Letterman Theater after that, and his manager chases after him. He says, Jim, Jim, what the fuck did you do? You told them you were going to change the line. You didn't change the line. And now they just told me, the producers, they said, you will never do the Ed Sullivan show again as long as you fucking live. (laughs) And Jim Morrison looked at his manager, and this is where it applies to what I was just talking about, and says to him, I've already done the Ed Sullivan Show, and I don't want to do the Ed Sullivan Show again.
1: There you go. Thank you, next, he said. (laughs) With all the different comedians I've met over the years and worked with, I've noticed that there is a big Venn diagram of depression or addiction and people who like to do comedy. Sometimes I feel like it might just be a circle. I don't know. And I'm wondering, do you think that stand-up comedy causes alcoholism and addiction or the other way around? Or do you think that people who are addicts are attracted to this kind of work for some sort of reason. It feels like it's a chicken and egg scenario, but I I would love to know your take on that.
0: I did a documentary that uh, Tribeca bought that was in theaters. Uh, I didn't see it. I was busy that day, Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, documentaries in theaters, not good. But uh, there were a lot of great people in it. Tom Hanks and uh, Judd Apatow, Larry David. And uh, it was all, it was called Misery Loves Comedy. And it was all to to see if it it was possible that there could be a successful stand-up comic who hadn't gone through any misery.
1: That's what I'm wondering.
0: The only person I've ever met that always felt like he never went through anything is Jerry. Jerry Jerry Seinfeld. Seinfeld. But he is Jerry, you know, he's a, he's a shrewd and tough business guy and, and he knows how he likes things. And I haven't worked with him in a long time, but when I did uh, work with him, he was one of the most, you know, he really knew how he wanted things and was adamant that they go exactly the way they were. But I, I think that, you know, tragedy and comedy, there's a, there's a reason why the two, uh, coexist coexist in the symbols is because it's conflict and resolution every half hour comedy in the world that's successful has conflict and resolution Mm -hmm. i mean how many times you see you know even if you're watching the oldest show like jackie gleason the honeymooners (laughs) it's like he's screaming he's yelling i'm gonna get you get the hell out of here and at the very end, it's like, yeah. baby, you're the greatest, you know? And, and and that's what life is. Yes. And so um, I think also performing is, it's all about the dopamines.
1: Oh, it is. I mean, that's and what I've so, been
0: into forever. So how can you not have problems in that area, I think the greatest performers in the world are those that suffer because they have no fear. They have no fear at all. I mean, you know, Farley had no fear. The greatest artists of our generation have no fear. They don't care. What you think of me is none of my fucking business.
1: Right, because they're just here to do their thing.
0: I'm just doing my thing. The, co- the audience is my writing partner. I always say to, to artists, maybe this is uh, will get me canceled. Well, say we li- can
1: cut anything you want to cut, Barry.
0: <laughs> I always say as a comedian, it's yeah. like, just if, if you were uh, living a promiscuous life, think of every show you do as a one night stand. Some are gonna be great, and you're never gonna fucking see the person again. Some are gonna be bad. You're never gonna see the person again. Just go and work out and do your thing, and until you get great, until you find the rhythm where you wanna be with the kind of audience that you wanna be with and you find. That's why the greatest comedians work these amazing theaters. You probably say, God, it's incredible. They work these amazing theaters because they work their ass off to find the partner in their comedy career that they want. The partner they want is the A-plus theater filled with the A-plus fans.
1: Of course, but you don't get to the A-plus theater with the A-plus fans without doing a lot of open mics and a lot of bombing and a lot
0: of, oh, there's one person in the audience. That's right, that's your writing partner. And just do the stuff and move on. Next. Yeah. Somebody just uh, called me the night. They said uh, they had an important gig, and they said they bombed. And, uh, and they just tried their hardest uh, and they bombed. And I said, that's fantastic. It's fantastic. Cause Bom- it's a learning, it's a learning experience. Just, 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 next and go the next thing. Yeah. But I feel like I have to explain to the comedians that I, you know, I, I'm sorry and whatever. And I said, look, you know, you do whatever you feel is right. But when you say you're sorry, you know, you're just, You're just apologizing for uh, the way the career is. I
1: mean, I hosted and produced a variety show for years. And I booked eight to ten comics almost every single week. Plus, like, it was a variety show. So we had music, burlesque, all different kinds of stuff. And I saw my fair share of people do great. And I saw people bomb. Uh, And at least from my perspective, maybe I'm a little more understanding than most people. I don't know. But... If someone bombs, I don't see them as a bad artist. I see it as, oh, okay, well, maybe this crowd doesn't get them. Maybe they're having a tough day. It, because I know that it is one performance in a lifetime of performances, and it does not define that person. So I don't see it as a reflection of their value. So, Barry, I remember you told me that you like surprises and you didn't want to know about things I was going to ask you, correct? Which I love that about you because there's so many people that are afraid of that and they don't want to be in the moment. And I feel like you're the complete opposite and I get it.
0: I want to tell you and your audience something. Yes, tell me. Everybody, when asked this question, has a different answer. And the question is... What do you look forward to the most? And my answer is always two words, the unknown. That's beautiful.
1: That's beautiful. So bring it. (laughs) Bring it. I like to call the segment hot tips, hot tips, hot tips, hot tips. So Berry Cats, you have a tough day, whatever that looks like for you. I don't know, maybe you've got clients that are angry at you or ugly day at the beach, (laughs) come home. What is something that you do for yourself that is going to turn your mood around, that's a hot tip that you can give to our listeners that they might be able to use?
0: Well, everybody has their own thing. First of all, every time I wake up, I told you how I, what I say to myself, which is horrible. And after (laughs) I say that to myself, I tend to do the same thing that comforts me. And I don't know why, I'm just gonna share what it is. Sure, please. I will get up and I will firstly have these, there's like 20 things that I notice that I do. Like I'll change the water in the dog bowl. I'll put new dog food in the dog thing. I'll take stuff out of the washer and put it in the dryer, or put it away. I'll take the stuff out of the sink and make sure it's clean. I'll, if there's anything that's dirty, I'll wipe it down. So just household chores. I'll make the bed. I will get everything prepared so that everything looks like it has place and order. Mm -hmm. So that makes me feel comfortable. And then late at night after I've had a good, a bad day or whatever it is, I like to organize my business. And I have this, um, I have like the sheet with like probably (laughs) 500 things on it to do. It looks like one of those things that Bill Belichick has on the sidelines that's, except mine isn't laminated, you know, it has all the colors. Is it a big legal pad? No, it's just like a big um, document that has five columns and all the things that I have to do, Uh calls, waiting, follow up, uh, watch, read. Yes. you know things like that. So I like to organize my life and uh, know what I'm doing the next day. And I like to put my clothes out that I'm gonna be wearing for the next day because it 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 lets me know that all I gotta do is walk into the bathroom and once I uh, you know clean up or take a shower or whatever that it's there and I'm ready to go. I want everything in place. I want to be prepared, and that that comforts me. I love that. And then in the meantime during the day what comforts me is the ocean Mm -hmm. and so i uh where i work i am always looking out the window at the ocean and that uh that really when i'm feeling kind of i need some more grounding i look out and i say hey millions of people were here throughout millions of years looking at this yeah and i get to be one of them Mm. and and the last thing I say to myself is that I know that Lady Gaga lives across the street in a $40 million mansion, and I don't. I still look at the ocean, and I know there's people who live in Valley Village or wherever it might be that's maybe uh, inland a, an inland, and they feel like they don't feel good about what's happening. And then there's people who live in in a studio in Koreatown and they're saying to themselves, like, I don't, so at every stage you feel a certain way. And I, I the ocean lets me know that no matter what, it's there. And I want to say one last thing. It's kind of a, a story that a, a famous comedian, an old time comedian, Tom Dreesen said to me. Yeah. When I interviewed him. I'll never forget this and I think I think your audience would really enjoy this. Absolutely. And this is this really grounds me. Yeah. He was Frank Sinatra's opening act for 15 years. He was going out the back way to the limo and there was a woman screaming for Frank. They went in the limo and Frank said to Tom like what's with that woman? He said, "Well, the the bellman told me that she's been waiting for 5 hours to see you there." Mm. And Frank opens the limo door goes back out and says, what's up, honey? Can I help you or whatever? I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. She says, my husband's sick. I, I just wanted an autograph for him to make him feel better. I was hoping you could give me that. Mm. He says, no problem, honey. Here it is. And then he, uh, he takes off his cuff links mm-hmm. and he gives them to the woman. And she says, give this to your husband from me. Frank goes back into the limo and Tom looks at him and says, Frank, what are you, what are you doing? Those are your favorite cufflinks. You, you spend like $5,000 for them and you're giving them to that, that woman. Yeah. And this is something for your audience and for me that really affects me and grounds me. Yeah. Frank Sinatra looked at Tom Dreeson and he said, Tom, we're renting. <laughs> and, and, and Tom's like, "What? What are you? What are we're you, renting. What are you talking about, Frank? What we, Tom? We're renting." I said, "He said I don't understand, Frank." He said, "Tom, when I die, somebody's going to be wearing my cufflinks. Somebody's going to be living in my house. Somebody's going to be driving my car. Somebody's going to be spending my money. If I." have something Mm -hmm. and i can't give it away then it has no value to me
1: wow that's something to think about i you know what's beautiful about that is people only want to give things away to their family or to their kids or to someone they think earned it but he's just giving his cufflinks to a fan because then it has value
0: i did something that i i don't even know if i did the right thing or not thank god my son was okay with it. My, my son had a car and it, you know, it broke down. And I, I just, I thought, you know, why don't we just give the car to somebody who, you know, people know mechanics and they can get things done.
1: Sure. For
0: $6 and a bucket of chicken. Whereas if I take it somewhere, it's going to cost like $3,000 to fix something or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So I, I gave the car to this woman who, um, Helps, you know, every few weeks comes to the house, straightens up, cleans up, whatever it is. So I gave her the car. And um and my son at first said, Dad, you know, it's my car, And you know, we could have we could have sold it for like, you know, even if we got a little bit of money for it, maybe twenty five hundred or something. Sure. I said, Well, you know, it's just you know what it, it feels good to do something nice, doesn't it? And he said, Yeah, it does, Dad. And I just gave him my car. So, uh, so I hitchhiked over here, which was a, no, i kidding.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do you have a car, Barry? Is I everything ha- okay? I do have a car. <laughs> okay, good.
0: <laughs> I don't mean to go toe to toe with you. Yeah. That is your tough surprise question.
1: It's not tough. It was just- a That's st- what
0: you had to like, that's what you were like w- wanted to warn me about. I'm gonna ask you that that's, that. that's like a, that's like a it's soft-
1: softball. Yeah, I know. I thought you were gonna
0: ask me, you know, uh, you know what tell I- Tell me
1: about your divorce. Well, tell me
0: about your divorce. What did you do in the shower when you were 17? You know, oh, I thought Jesus. it was gonna be horrible stuff like that.
1: I like to keep people comfy and let them kind of like come into my virtual unlicensed therapy office and share whatever they feel like sharing. I don't wanna- it's not my style to make people feel uncomfortable like that. You know what I mean? No, I do. I want people to feel like it's a warm cup of tea.
0: It has been. <laughs> I, I, I love this. I love talking to you. I don't want uh, to, I think that you're you're really great. And I think that you have a lot to offer a lot of people and, um, and it's very soothing. It's very comforting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we all have choices on what we do Mm -hmm. and i'm here so i i wouldn't be here if i didn't feel like it was something that was special
1: yeah no and i take that as a big compliment i mean because i kind of reached out and we had met before but we were acquaintances at best. So I didn't know if you'd remember me or if you'd be interested or anything like that. And I was like, oh, cool, okay, this guy's on board. Uh, Cause I know that what I'm doing is great, but you never know what other people are gonna think. So I appreciate that.
0: You make a difference to people. Yeah. And you can talk to anybody who's a higher level person whatever religion you're, you follow. And they'll all tell you that if you can just make a difference to one person in your lifetime, then you've done your job.
1: Well, and that's exactly why I picked this topic, because I thought, okay, uh, every artistic thing I've done that's bigger, that I've really put out there in, a, in an important way, I have an instinct to help. So I'm always raising money for charity or trying to put a spotlight on underrepresented groups or give a platform to people who don't have a voice. And so if I was gonna do a podcast, I thought, okay, let's, let's continue and do something that's gonna keep helping people. Uh, it just feels good. And in a weird way, it's also kind of selfish because it makes me feel good. And if at the end of my life, I can say that I've moved the needle and made a few people, Feel better about themselves and feel like they can overcome their challenges then i've done my job i've done it and that's why i started this whole thing because i really i used to be in a place where i thought god i'm never going to get out of this you know and uh i had a really leslie khan you know
0: big acting i I love leslie khan
1: she's like If I could pick like the little weird Jewish mother that I never had, like it would be her. And I remember when I was taking classes there, I took her comedy intensive um, and I had studied at NYU and did all these other important classes before, but I needed a refresh and I needed to wake up and I needed something that was gonna, I don't know, crack the code for my booking, right? That's all you can think of as an actor when you're going to these things. and I was going through a lot in my personal life. My brother was about to have brain surgery the next month. And I was, I am one of his conservators. So I was taking him to a lot of his appointments, very stressed out about this. And it was coming through in class. I was very tense and hard to work with. And I remember her pulling me aside and being like, hey, so these people are saying this about you, this is going on, what the fuck? I might need to just take you out of this Old school you know or like I don't know if you're fit to be in a group setting right now what's going on and I told her everything was going on and she said you have so much talent and you have so much potential but if you don't get away from this trauma then you will not be able to be successful as a person let alone as an actor and that was a real wake-up call it was something that I needed to hear it was some tough love that I really needed to hear and I didn't I wasn't immediately able to apply that advice, but I heard it and I said, okay, yeah, that sounds about right. I don't know how to do it. And then over time I figured it out and continue to figure it out, you know? But it's it's people like you or like her, we need these mentors. We need people to hold a mirror up to us and reflect who we could be, right? And that's beautiful that you're doing that.
0: I love being in the mirror.
1: <laughs> right?
0: But I also love seeing the reflection.
1: <laughs> I love that. I don't know what that means. I'm not sure.
0: It means that what when I look in the mirror, when I get out of the shower mm-hmm. and I look in the mirror, I think to myself, Jesus, I look like a bag of onions. <laughs> You know, but then there's somebody else that might say, "Oh, that that person's okay."
1: I, I think you look great. You've no, got great hair. No, but I'm
0: just I'm, I'm just I'm just saying. that it's like Everybody has that vision of what they look like, what they are inside, what mm-hmm. they are as an artist, and and the mirror lies every fucking day. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it lies in the extreme, like the person you run into somebody and they're like, hey, I'm killing it. I just killed. Oh, let me listen to the tape. Jesus. What, no. What the... So sometimes the mirror is working the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm, I don't know if I've really met that many artists in my lifetime where what they see in the mirror is what everyone sees in the mirror. Uh, yeah. I don't. so that's Part of the
1: work, though, is figuring out yeah. how do other people see me? How do I see myself? Where can we meet in the middle?
0: Yeah. And I think that's the thing. That's why I, I'm, I mean, I'm really, that's why I'm so excited about the blueprint thing. Everybody yeah. told me not to do it. Just like the podcast. They told
1: kitchen. you to not get into the coaching? Oh.
0: Who's
1: yeah. who's the Everybody.
0: Oh, my God, so many people in the industry because it's not you're doing something that's that's not normal. Like, I don't consider myself a coach. I don't consider myself a teacher. I think it's a natural extension say, of what you do. Consider, yeah. I just want to be able to try to make a difference to as many people as I can. But they say, you you know, you know, a lot of things about a lot of people. And, you know, it's not good. Stay in your lane. But it's like, I figure if I, I, the reason why I did this was I was through the pandemic thinking how I could do it where I could still do everything I want to do and, and this yeah. and it doesn't affect anything. And I figured it out and, um, and you know, if people in your audience come and check it out and even if they check out just a free community and, and hang out and come on a call. Yeah. You get so i mean you get
1: so much yeah the free community is great i mean i hopped on there right when it first started i got the email that's literally why you're here today because i thought oh my god this is so cool it was exactly what you're saying i have access to this person who i mean i think if i really wanted to sure we've got some mutual friends i could have maybe arm wrestled you to get you on the show but that wasn't really what I wanted. I thought, okay, this person has a wealth of knowledge. How can I learn from this person? And also you brought all these other people from all over the country or possibly the world together that are learning and growing together. It's accountability, it's community, and it's, we're all equal. I saw different people posting in there just introducing themselves, right? And then seeing comments below. And it's really cool because there's Comedians or artists of all levels of their careers, and they're all being equally supportive of everyone, regardless of if they just started yesterday or they've been doing it for ten years. And I think that's really beautiful.
0: That's the thing about comedy for your audience. It's it's a very strange uh, business. If you just compare it with another entertainment business, let's say like music, live music. So in comedy, you do a hit comedy album or a hit comedy special and you've got all this amazing great material like let's say you watch Chappelle from Killing Me Softly in 2000 and you just remember that crack baby routine that oh, my oh it's god so funny this is a classic this is great let's go see Chappelle and let's hear him say his greatest hits Never says it again. Never, it's burnt. never, ever said it again. Meanwhile, you go see the Rolling Stones. They're eighty. They're still singing "Satisfaction." Secondly, that's different. Musicians will never hang with each other. You know, Rick Springfield isn't hanging with Mick Jagger. <laughs> you know, um, S- Steven Tyler isn't giving advice to a young musician in mm-hmm. the hallway of a music club. You go to the improv, Chris Rock is just hanging out on the side, you know, with his back against the wall. And you could have done comedy one time in your life and walk up to him and say, hey, Chris, I got this opening joke. I want to know what you think about it. And he'll tell you what he thinks about it.
1: That was my favorite thing about getting into comedy because I started out doing drama and training at a conservatory and doing these serious plays. And then after college, I came back to LA, started doing comedic play. People told me I was funny and that I should try improv. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. I only do unscripted. I don't do unscripted work, you know, and I didn't think of myself as funny. But then went to UCB, took an improv class, started getting into the community. And I just, this, it was like a, a big embrace of all these other people. Oh, you're weird. Me too. Let's talk. (laughs) You know, that's kind of how it felt. It it is very unique in that way. It's open.
0: It is open. And to take it full circle, you know, you're like the combination of both worlds because you are like a rock musician in that you repeat the same message over and over again. But you play it a little differently each time and your audience wants to hear those greatest hits over and over again.
1: They just want to hear they're not alone. Yeah, They want to hear that they're okay.
0: But also, (laughs) but where you are, the comedy side is you have the community of people that you're accessible to and they love you. And I'm just, I'm really grateful that you had me on this podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Well, I mean, the love goes both ways you know love having you here love just being in your presence it's i can understand that you live by the beach because sitting next to you it has that same feeling of being by the ocean it does like in the summers especially at least i'd say every single weekend i will go to a pool or a beach or something and my favorite beach which i'm not going to publicize in the podcast we'll talk about after is in malibu uh And I'll go with my dog, I'll go by myself and just stare out and it's so grounding and it has its own pace. It's not gonna go faster or slower for anyone. And I feel like that's how you are.
0: Well, oh, It's really That's, beautiful. It's a great compliment.
1: Yeah, so uh, thank you for being here, Barry, for the Blueprint for Success. I know we have a promo code going, so if anybody wants to sign up, uh, if you use code CRYING, then you can get your discount and get into the program. But also, there's a free community. Like you said, anybody can go to either Barrycats.com or the Blueprint for Success and sign up, right? Yes. And they don't have to pay one red cent. But they're in there. One red (laughs) set.
0: Or if you're political, one blue or red set. Yeah.
1: Any last words of wisdom for young performers who are starting out, how they might be able to get out of their own way?
0: It sounds cruel me saying this, but no one... There's only one person that can help you get out of your own way. So it's just when you're ready to give up the bullshit and stop telling yourself lies, then you'll move on. You know how like there's just certain things that happen in your life. And if you could just pull upon those things, you'd realize like, I don't know, like, I'm sure there's people out there that like one day they just started working out and then they just lost you know whatever 25 pounds and they're in shape and they're strong and you think to yourself well how did you do that yeah like what happened what 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 was the wake-up call but you did it whatever it is you got to look at the examples in your own life that are your successes your wins Mm -hmm. and then see how you did those and apply it to doing uh this and turning things around and i really enjoyed this and i <laughs> i hope that your audience didn't fall asleep after the first six seconds
1: absolutely not it's been educational inspirational fun everything that you'd want we've, we've gone on a whole ride you know i knew when i brought you in here that it was going to be a longer one so that is what it
0: is very grateful to you and uh and to joe
1: yay all right thank you for being here so much for listening to today's episode of crying behind sunglasses i've been your host kayla Dahl. and if you want to learn more about today's guest or anything else we talked about you can check the info below in the description and be sure to subscribe follow leave a review on your favorite podcasting app so that we can continue to give you more of this great content you can also join our growing community on patreon that's patreon.com crying pod My new theme song, in case you noticed, is by the one and only Peter Stoia, and the lyrics and vocals are by me. I also did get to play guitar a little bit on this one, which is super exciting. I hope you like it, and until next time, stay cool, stay present, stay sunny. Hey, hey buddy, you doing okay? When therapy's done. me <laughs> join me because we we can't